That was fantastic. Thank you again, praise band. Our guest preacher today is a visitor, but she's certainly not a stranger. Um, most everyone here probably already knows the Reverend Edie Glees, for she was our associate pastor from the years 2010 to 2016. But if you're new to Wrightsville United Methodist Church or visiting with us today, let me tell you a little bit more about the person we call Pastor Edie. She's a native North Carolinian, born and raised in Maxton, North Carolina. She attended Wake Forest University and Duke Divinity School, and she became the first African-American woman to be ordained in the North Carolina Conference of the United Methodist Church. She has always been a pioneer and a trailblazer, and um, it is hard to believe that she's now celebrating her 35th year of pastoral ministry. She obviously started when she was six. <laughs> she has served many churches throughout our conference and um, has served outside of the conference um, as a assistant, what is it, uh, was it deputy general, deputy general of, uh, I, I can't get the right, deputy general secretary of the General Board of Global Ministries, which sends out all of our missionaries all over the world. Um, so, uh, and then she came to us, and we were blessed to have her for six years, and now she's moved on to be the uh, superintendent of the Harbor District. I welcome back to the pulpit um, my friend and uh, my boss, <laughs> Pastor Edie. Good morning. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whom we live and move and have our being. It's so good to be back, to be back home, to see familiar faces and to see new faces and to be blessed by you all. Uh, I appreciate the welcome. I appreciate, uh, as Doug has said, the praise team. It's been so inspiring to see these young people before us and leading us in the worship and praise of God. Thank you. Thank you all. And please do keep it up. And uh, thank you for all the music ministry that is here. And yes, Doug is a friend. Uh, it was wonderful to get to know Doug a bit when we served together for a year, but I especially got to know Doug when we were in West Africa uh, earlier this year at, in uh, Sierra Leone, and we learned things about each other we didn't know before. And uh, <laughs> But it was a good, a good time, and I was glad to to be here. And thank you to Christina. It's funny when um this morning, when I brought my stuff up, I just automatically dropped it where I always did. And Doug said, "I'm sorry, but I have to move you." Christina sits here. That's <laughs> all. Yeah, that's right. And so uh, I had to move over. But um, today, speaking of moves, is is the day across the whole annual conference where pastors or churches that are receiving new pastors where it's announced. But don't worry, I'm not, gonna, I'm not announcing any changes. Uh, we're glad that, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're glad that Doug and Christina are both still here, and I know they've been a blessing to you. Yeah. I'd like to share with you now scripture uh, that my message is based upon. It comes from the gospel according to St. John from chapter 20 in verses 19 through 31. Hear now the reading of God's word. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, 
And the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of these, your people's hearts, be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. It's been called the greatest comeback for the ages, at least for the sport of golf. Even if you're not a fan or a follower of the sport, you have probably heard about the recent epic win of the Masters Tournament by Tiger Woods. It happened on Palm Sunday after nearly 11 years since his last major championship win. It was the first time since 14 years when he won, when he last won the Masters, and he did it when he was 43 years old. He did it after enduring personal scandal. His marriage was wrecked through revelation of infidelity. He lost many of his corporate endorsements because of that scandal. The tabloids had a field day with the news that he had checked into a Mississippi sex clinic, a sex therapy clinic, to get the help that he needed for his addiction. 
after four different back surgeries. Many people in the golf world believed Tiger was done. And not just because of his bad back. When he played, it was if he had lost his ability and his skill to master the game. Although others gave up on Tiger Woods, he never gave up on himself. Neither did his father, Earl, who had a major impact on his son's life. Earl was a fine athlete himself who broke the collar line when he played baseball at Kansas State in the early 1950s. Earl subsequently joined the U.S. Army. He did two tours in Vietnam. Earl Woods taught his son to never quit or to even conceive of the possibility. And Tiger Woods kept going even after his father died and even when others lost faith in him. Now that's what I call a comeback. But friends, as awesome as this comeback Sunday surely was, it pales into insignificance compared to the comeback we just celebrated on last Sunday. Last Sunday, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Easter, too, was a day that many thought would never happen. The capture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane happened. Beating at the hands of Roman soldiers happened. The unjust trial which found him guilty happened. The torture of the nailing of his body to the old rugged cross happened. The blood flowing from his head, from his hands, his feet, and the sword-pierced side happened. The burial of his body in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea happened. The visit by Mary and the women to the tomb to find the stone rolled away happened. The message from the angels there saying to them, he is not here, he is risen, happened. The greatest comeback that ever has or ever will be happened. So this second Sunday after Easter, a good question to ask is, what's next? Easter has happened. The very foundation of our Christian faith and the church has been secured. So what's next? Well, we might take some direction from that recent comeback from Tiger Woods. What will the, king, the comeback king, maybe of all times in sports history, what will the comeback king Tiger Woods be doing next? We can rest assured he won't waste much time resting on his laurels. He'll be too busy practicing and preparing for the next major championship. Tiger will be looking to win again. When we look at the scriptures, we see a report that after his resurrection, Jesus continued his earthly ministry 
for a season. Apparently, Jesus was not immediately ready to return to heaven with God. Instead, he spent more time, about 40 days, down here with his disciples. Jesus wanted to be sure his disciples were secure and bonded in the reality of his resurrection. Jesus was not done with the spiritual formation of his disciples. In these disciples, Jesus was making sure of the what next. We learn of the post-resurrection events from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But John gives the most specific and the most details of these events. John tells us that Jesus had seen nearly all of his disciples here and there during the course of that first week. But soon after his resurrection, Jesus came to them again in the upper room, the very place that he had the last supper with them before he was crucified. Thomas, who wasn't there the last time Jesus appeared to them, was there this time. Thomas was there to see for himself that Jesus was alive. Sure, the other disciples, they told Thomas that Jesus was returned from the dead. They told him how they had seen Jesus and that he lives again. They told him what they had seen. We've all heard about doubting Thomas. I think Thomas kind of gets shortchanged in the way he's so often presented. Yes, he did say, until I see the nail print in his hand and the wound in his side, I will not believe. Yes, that can sound like doubt and suspicion. But what if Thomas simply wanted the same experience for himself? They were telling him about Jesus because of what they had seen. What if Thomas just wanted to have the same experience they had? After all, he had been with Jesus during Jesus' ministry just like they'd been. Maybe he wanted to be able to say, I know that Jesus lives because I've seen him for myself. Maybe Thomas wanted his own story, his own testimony. When Jesus came to the upper room, Thomas didn't need to put his finger in the print at all. He didn't have to put his hand in the wound left by the soldier's spear in Jesus' side. Thomas just took one look at Jesus, and he declared, My Lord and my God. And he worshipped Jesus. Thomas had his own testimony. My friends, what about you? Do you have your own story? Have you seen the risen Lord? Can you tell somebody about how Jesus has saved you? I believe somebody here has seen God turn their lives around. Someone here can tell how Jesus picked you up out of the quicksand of life when you were sinking and place your feet upon a solid rock. Someone here can tell how God has liberated you from an addiction, maybe to drugs or freed you from alcohol abuse. 
Someone can talk about how Jesus broke the chains of addiction to food or to sex. Somebody here can testify how God got you that job, how the Lord put you in your house, how God saved that marriage you thought was over. Someone in here can testify how Jesus touched and healed your body from your sickness. Somebody can talk about how God brought that lost wayward child back home. Can I get a witness? I know I can speak for myself. I preach a gospel of a risen Savior. <laughs> Amen. I don't base my sermons just just on what the scriptures say about Jesus, although that's key, that's so important, or just on what other people say about Jesus, although that's important. I also base my sermons on what I know about Jesus for myself. I know I serve a risen Savior who's in this world today. I know that I can trust him, no matter what others may say. You know, as far as the world was concerned, after Easter, nothing had changed. It was business as usual. Pontius Pilate was still governor of Judea. Rome was still occupying Palestine. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were still the religious powers. Even though there was an empty tomb and a risen Christ, Everything seemed pretty much the same. But the world was wrong. The resurrection of Jesus had made a difference. The difference was in the hearts and in the lives of his disciples. The men and the women, the youth and the children, all who followed the risen Christ would never be the same again. The way the disciples of Jesus Christ lived in the world would never be the same again. Therefore, the world would never be the same again. He was alive. He had won the victory over Satan and sin and death. So the apostle Paul could write in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 57, Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. When I was in high school, I was a cheerleader. Kind of reminds me of that film that's coming out now, Palms. The young ones and the old ones. Well, anyway, I can remember some exciting football and basketball games. In the closing moments of our games, if our team was ahead and victory seemed assured, We cheerleaders would stand up and we shout at the top of our voices something like, let's yell victory. And we would all shout together, victory, victory, that's our cry, (laughs) V-I-C-T-O-R-Y. Are they winning? No, they're not. We are winning. We're on top. We were excited. We'd hug each other. Everybody knew that our high school was the best, and we'd just proven it again because we had defeated our foe. Friends, that spirit of victory and joy ought to permeate our church. Jesus Christ has won the victory. We no longer have to fear death. 
We no longer have to live our lives feeling all alone, frustrated, unsure, with no purpose, with no one to guide us because Jesus is alive. Have you heard the story about the fellow who wore a very, very painful pair of shoes? He complained to everybody about those shoes, saying, these shoes really hurt my feet. They're awful. Well, as you might imagine, his co-workers after a while got tired of listening to that. So one of them suggested that he just go and buy a new pair of shoes. The guy answered, well, believe me, I've thought about it, but I've decided not to. You see, I hate my job. Every day I come to work, punch in, and then spend eight hours of drudgery. I hate every minute of it. Then I go home. Well, at home I have a wife who is never satisfied. She nags me day and night. All the time it's just nag, nag, nag. Then not long ago, my son and his wife moved in with us. They have two of the most obnoxious kids you have ever seen. They run wild all over the place. They destroy the furniture and tear up the house. On top of that, my mother-in-law is living with us too. And every night, she grabs the remote control and she sits down in my favorite chair. I have to watch the TV programs she wants to watch. I tell you, with all these problems in my life, the only real pleasure I have is taking off these shoes. <laughs> Beloved, on this Sunday after Easter, maybe life isn't nearly as wonderful for you as you had once thought it would be. Life can be very, very painful. No laughing matter at all. The threats and the dangers of this world are real and frightening. So what can we do this Sunday after Easter as we face the realities of our world today? Brothers and sisters, we can put our trust in Jesus. When we confess Jesus Christ as our risen Lord and Savior, and when we repent of our sins and are buried with him in Christian baptism, the Bible says our sins are forgiven. We are raised to walk in newness of life, and we receive the gift of God's Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. It's the greatest gift of all. God's Holy Spirit is placed deep inside us. And as we feed on God's word, as we pray, as we fellowship with other Christians, God's influence grows in our life. God takes us beyond the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. God continues to form us as Christians in the faith. So we can truly rejoice because we experience what we mean when we say Christ is risen. 
We live out what we mean when we say that we as the church, the body, we are the body of the risen Christ. Friends, it's, it's no longer business as usual. The Spirit has empowered us to undertake God's work in this world in Jesus' name. The Spirit calls us to our common work of using those gifts that we've been given in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. As we do, God's presence and God's influence will be seen. Don't you see it? God affects the way you talk with others. God influences how you deal with those situations in your life. The Holy Spirit renews your minds and the way you think, the way you look at the world. The Spirit gives you peace, power, and new possibilities. Do you know the Spirit even changes the expressions on your face? When your life becomes filled with kindness and tenderness, mercy and love and hope, even the demeanor of our faces will be different. People will see the difference in us. They'll see that we're not afraid. We're not afraid to give away ourselves in love for Jesus. We're no longer afraid of what others might think or say about us. We are no longer afraid to give of ourselves, of our time, our presence, our gifts, our service, our witness. We are no longer afraid to work for justice and for peace because we know nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. We know this because his comeback tells us so. Jesus the Christ is the greatest comeback for the ages. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear God, Jesus Christ is the greatest comeback for the ages. Bless us that we live the what's next day to day in our lives as his disciples. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you again, Pastor Edie, for blessing us with your word today. Uh, as we conclude our service, I invite you to stand and sing hymn number 310, He Lives. <laughs>